Our scripture reading today is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for one. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were or walk for it while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to soak this in, just see all of you here today. And what a joy it is to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't accentuate that um, even more. It's good to know each other's sufferings. It's really good to know each other's struggles. And it's good to know that Christ knows all those already. And it's good to know that Christ loved you in the midst of that already. It's good that we do not run away from our sins, do not run away from our past. But instead we give those up to the Lord, knowing that only God can make sense of the senselessness in our lives. We turn to Him with hope and joy. And that's why when I look out in this room and I see stories in your faces of what God has done and what God is doing in your life. And I hear your heart longing, longing for the Lord to come today. All I can say is Amen. May Christ enrich your life. May Christ show himself to you in greater ways. May you understand how short this life is and yet how long eternity is. And may we live for that eternal glory that God has in store for all of us. If you ask scientists how old the universe is, and they would say approximately 10 billion years old, I'm not sure 
what we can do with that, but let's just say that. If you were to ask how long was an average human lifespan, you'd say, about a, let's just round it up to 100 years. If you were to sort of figure out the great scheme of things, how long was a human life with regards to the life of the universe? It's about 10 nanoseconds. Very short. Not even a flash in the pan. <laughs> Can't get the flash started. And the world may look at that and say, everything is meaningless. Life is meaningless. But we know that the God of the universe, who made this universe, loves us and has given us meaning and has given us purpose. So even though our lives may be short here, we have all eternity with the Lord. And it's that hope that we claim as God's people. It's that hope that allows us to live this life now. It's that hope that allows us to struggle with Christ in his presence well. God has given us his unconditional love. And when we come to know in Jesus Christ, and we have all that joy of knowing that we've been saved by him, don't forget, we still cry out every day to God, God, save me. God, help me. God, Deliver me. And today, what I want to talk about is about God's unconditional covenant love. In other words, what does it salvation look like? What does it look like working out for those of us who know Him? What can we expect life to look like? And what are some expectations we had of the Christian life that we need to throw away and put to the side? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 addresses many of these questions. In verse 1, Paul says simply, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's making a statement about who we already are. Since you have been justified by God, since you are no longer counted as sinners before the Lord, since you have cried out to God and said, save me, and God saved you, you now have peace with God. Fake that. Done deal. Trying to do it in Latin, but I forgot Latin. Done deal. Deal is done. But then the question goes, right? <clears throat> what does the life of a Christian look like? 
I want to talk about sort of three stages that we here in the Western world, in the first world context, often go through when we talk about love. And I believe that these three stages, or three, these three phases, is something that we can all relate to. I believe for many of us, we have an idealized conception of love, a very much idealized conception of love. Now, I'm not talking about idealized conception of love like the 19th century philosophers would say when they were thinking about love, thinking about love is selflessness. Love is um, being able to die for one another. But I'm talking about idealized love in terms of expectations that you have for other people, in terms of what that relationship should look like. For many of us, when we think about one day getting married, or perhaps you are married already, many times in the beginning you have an idealized vision of what that love should look like. Now you know in your head that that's, that's false, but your heart is still longing for what you see in the dramas, what you see in the movies. You want to at least, if you're going to fight, you're going to fight really well. And this idealization of love takes over your heart and your mind. It happens with church as well. It happens with our faith as well. That when you come to know Jesus, many of us have this idealization of what a Christian life should look like. I have peace with God now. Therefore, my life should look like X, Y, and Z. I shouldn't suffer anymore. I shouldn't wrestle with sin anymore. I should see a marked change in my life that is extremely different from my old self. And I should always be happy. But what happens? We get disappointed. Our spouses disappoint us. Our significant other disappoints us. Our church disappoints us. And even God disappoints us. Now we've got to be careful because we have to realize that idealized love is not love at all. Idealized love is nothing but a reflection of what you want and what you desire other people to do for you and you yourself. If you're in a relationship and you idealize what your spouse should be like and do for you, if your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with the church, if you idealize what that church should do for you, you will crush your spouse, you will crush your church, 
you will crush you'll crush God and this happens to all of us especially living here in, in, in the western world the first world context where we, we don't have many struggles all of our struggles are mostly internal rather than external And what happens when this idealized, fall, idealized love falls apart? We have what we call disappointed love. And most of us go to the other extreme for a while. Life just stinks. Relationships just stink. This world, just it's just going to be hard forever. Oh, well. Just got to just get through it. Church, well, you know, everyone's just going to disappoint me. Just get through it. And all of a sudden, you lose hopelessness. You become, you lose all hope, and you become hopeless in your marriages, in your church, and yes, even your God. Your God is no longer the God who is present, but your God is the God who is far away. Your God is no longer the God who can sympathize with you and, and counsel you and minister to you. Your God becomes a God who is far off, who simply saved you, but is simply waiting until, well, until you come home to him. Cynicism takes over very quickly. Disappointed love, as you can imagine, is <clears throat> not love either, is it? Theologically, we would look at this as sort of the already and not yet. In other words, God's kingdom is already here, but it's not yet in its fullness. When Jesus comes back, we will have God's kingdom in his fullness. Idealized love, if I could put it in its, its, its best light, is simply our desire to have heaven now. But heaven's not coming now. Disappointed love is simply understanding that this world is never going to be my home. But without recognizing that God is here. But we live in what we call the already, not yet. God does not give us an idealized love in the sense that he doesn't make heaven and earth come at, the, at this moment. God doesn't give us a disappointed love in the sense that he simply saves us and say, just fend for yourself until I come back. But God gives us the third type of love, which is the love that we see here, and that's God's covenant love. And it's God's covenant love that gives us power and gives us hope and gives us joy. It is the Christian's duty to seek after hope and to seek after joy. 
It is the Christian's duty to fight against hopelessness, despair. It is a Christian's duty to see God's kingdom at work here and to have the hope that his perfect kingdom will one day come. Here are several things that we can glean from this passage. First of all, Paul reminds us that he saved us when, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died from the God. You were weak. Second of all, he says that we were enemies. I'm sorry, verse 8, that we were sinners. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Paul is saying to us, reminding us that we were weak, we were sinners, and we were enemies of God when we were saved. It reminds us that because he wants us to remember our condition and to remember that this condition still stays with us until the Lord returns. In other words, we are still weak people. <coughs> In other words, we still sin against the Lord. In other words, we are still enemies across at times. But in the midst of all that, you are saved. You are loved. You have to rely upon God's covenant love and to know that His love still embraces you even at this point in your life. You will not be that perfect person who does not sin. You will not be that perfect person who no longer has enmity against God. You will never be strong. But the joy of that is what? Is that God still loves you in the midst of all of that. God loves you knowing that you are fully weak. God loves you in knowing that you still sin. God loves you in knowing that there are times you act like his enemy. God's covenant love does not depend upon how well you push through all of this stuff. But God's covenant love depends upon God's character and his joy and his constancy. Praise God. Praise God. Sometimes I, I, I fall into temptation. I think many of us do the same thing. That we don't believe that God loves me anymore. Because I'm not as strong as I should be. Don't read the Bible as much as I should. Don't really trust God with certain relationships in my life as much as I should. I get discouraged much more than I think a good Christian should. Surely, God doesn't love. 
there are times in your life when you've gone through this that you willfully sin against God and you know it. Instead of returning kindness when someone gives you, let's just say, bad apples, you return an eye for an eye. And you know it. And you say, surely God doesn't love me. But remember, God already knew all of that when he saved you. God already factored all of that in when he sent Christ to die for you. God already chose to embrace you, knowing because of his omniscience all that was to come to pass in your life. And yet he still chose to have peace with you. This is the gospel of Christ. The gospel is not about looking at your sins and looking at your sufferings and having a counter to see your plus or minus. The gospel is simply asking the question, who do you look for for your hope? Who do you look to for your joy? Who do you look to for love? And the answer needs to be Christ. With the enmity in my heart, with the sinfulness in my heart, with the joylessness in my heart at that time, I look to Christ. He is my only hope. We know who it is, who, 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 who is growing in their faith. Not by how many sins they are, they are walking away from because they will keep multiplying. But we know who's growing in their faith by how much more they prize Christ and the love that he has for us. That is covenant love. That is love in the mix of evil, in the mix of sin, the midst of the midst of suffering. When a husband loves a wife, or a wife loves a husband, in the midst of suffering, that's right, the, the poorer part, the, the sickness part, the non-health part. Love of a husband and wife grows. The love that you have between a real good friend. Friendship is such a wonderful gift God gives. But you know when friendships run stale. When you realize it's a quid pro quo relationship. But what if your relationships as friends became not about whose turn is it to buy dinner today? 
whose turn is it to vent today? But simply, I'm here for you, and you're here for me. There will be times where I'll need you more for a season, and there will be times I don't need you more for a season. No matter how long those seasons are, it's okay. I'm here for you. That's covenant love. And God has demonstrated and shown that covenant love to you and to me. You are unconditionally loved by God. You are loved in your, with your sins, with your enmity, with your weakness. And praise God for who He is and what He is. Now we look closer here. We look, you see, sort of what type of things are going to happen in the Christian life? What does a, a Christian character look like? What should the character of our church look like? What can we expect? What should we not be surprised by? And when it doesn't occur, what sort of uh, uh, resources does God give us? to tackle living in this world where we have God's covenant of love in our lives. There's several things. I mean, there's a lot actually right in this, in this passage itself, but I'm not going to go through all of them. But the first thing I want you to see in verse 3 is that we will suffer. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. <coughs> I want you to think about that. You as Christians are called to suffer. And you might look at that and cringe. I don't want any part of this thing. This is not the Christian life I want. This is not the Christian life I want. I want the idealized Christian that's what I want. You tell me if I get married, I'm going to suffer. <laughs> I don't want to get married. <laughs> I want the idealized marriage. You tell me if I become friends with you that we're going to fight. <laughs> Forget it. You know, if, we, if, if you do something to me and I do something to you, it, it becomes, our relationship becomes, quote unquote, too toxic. Just get away from But in this world of brokenness that even the world sees, not just Christians, we all understand that suffering is part of the human equation. But the question is this. If we suffer for our own idealized love, there is no resources to get you out of it. You will live a life alone. Now, in the beginning, that sounds romantic, but in the end, you will be alone. There are times where I'll go through YouTube, and sometimes these uh, 
these YouTube videos pop up, and uh, we probably should call us here today, but because I'll see this video of like someone who goes fishing and just cooks on their own, and they're camping all by themselves, and they're just living alone. And I, I, I look at that, I go sometimes, that's what I want. I don't like fishing, I don't like camping, I don't like cooking, but I, I, I want the ideal of that. for a while and he stopped and uh, he has his own business and he wrote on his Facebook page he said you know right now life is good it, it's I'm free I feel joyful all the time there's no stress in my life and he says again Lord this is the life that I want to live for, for the rest of my time here my message in back I said you're sitting dude <laughs> 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 not in that in a way but in the beginning, it looks good. But in the end, you will be alone. Idealized suffering for yourself leads nowhere. But there's a suffering that is redemptive, that brings life that enlarges the covenant love that God has given us. And that is suffering for him. It's suffering for God that produces endurance, that produces character, verse 4, that produces hope. To grow in our hope for the, for the covenant love that God has already given us. To grow in the hope of, of, of God's eternal, um, our eternal joy in Him. To grow in that hope. The vehicle by which we get there is by suffering for Him. And I need all of you to hear that. I need all of you to hear that. In some ways, this is a little bit of a litmus test for all of us. Because if we're suffering for Him, our prayers for Him grow tremendously. Our prayer life grows tremendously. If we're suffering for Him, our hope in Him grows tremendously. If we're suffering for an idealized version of what the church should look like now, if we're suffering for an idealized version of what a relationship should look like, like now, we don't pray to Him. We look to our own resources to make it happen. And it dies quickly. But what does it mean to suffer for Him? Let me state two things. Number one, when God goes, when God commands us to go to the ends of the earth, ends of the world, and to make disciples of all nations, when God commands us to be His voice to share the good news to people, when God commands us to love our neighbor. God has already 
factored in once again everything that's going on in your life. When he brings that neighbor into your life for you to love, we can't raise our hands and say, well, God, you know, um, uh, I would love to do that. And, you know, when you saved me, I had a lot of time and uh, I, I could do that now. But now, you know, there's just so much going on. And because there's so much going on, um, I'll let that pass. When God commanded us to suffer for him, to love people, to, to give up things, he already has factored in everything going on in your life. There's nothing that surprises you. And when I, I was at a, on Monday at, um, at MTW, and they had this thing called Link, about people who are, who are wondering if they should go to the missions field. And I had the opportunity to, to say a few words there. And in the end, and, and the question is, you know, how do I know I'm called to the missions field? How do I know that I'm called to uh, overseas or to a certain country and things like that? And, you know, as we were all talking, you know, it, it came down to basically, well, we're all called to do that one way or another. But let me put it this way. There will always be a hundred reasons, a thousand reasons why you can say no to God. But we only need one reason to say yes. And that's because God loves us. And so when we suffer for the gospel, when we suffer because we're trying to make him known, the resources are there. God shows up in those things. God shows up when we don't have the words in our mouth. God shows up when, we're, when we have to love someone we can't love. God shows up. God shows up to love when we don't feel like loving. God shows up it, it, when our words are just all over the place, God shows up. And when God shows up, our hearts are joyful because we are obtaining what we want, the hope of Christ in us. This is the Christian, this is a covenant love. This is what you've been saved to. This is when we cry out to the Lord of the Christian life, save us. This is one of those beautiful aspects where God will say, I am here. And the blessings of God overflows to you and I. hope of this world dies quickly. The hope of God is eternal. One more thing about that. Your life here on this earth, if you are really living, we, as we live for the Lord, will always be difficult. But it's in the midst of that difficulty that 
that Jesus shows up. What do you want? Do you want Christ? Or do you want that idealized love? Do you want Christ? Or do you want the life that the rest of this world seems to enjoy? You have 10 nanoseconds here in this Are you really going to invest everything for 10 nanoseconds? You have eternity with God. Even I can do the math on that. Secondly, and lastly, because of time. Verse 2. Through him we have also take access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Again, there's that word, hope. When he talks about having access by faith into this grace, he's talking about the fact that we, as God's people, We as God's people have access to the power of God in our lives today. And that power comes through our prayers to Him. That power comes in our lives to Him. And that access, when we access His <coughs> presence into the circumstances in our lives. That's what God shows up. When you can accomplish things for God in this world without access accessing His power, when you can accomplish things for God's kingdom in this world without prayer. But you can accomplish things in relationships with other people without prayer. Then you're not dreaming big enough. You're not thinking big enough. When you can simply manage your life in such a way, and your Christian life in such a way, that you don't need God, then you won't see God. And then we are the most, you know, we all go through times like this. And when I go through it, I, I, it's such a pity. I, I pity myself. Like, what's wrong with me? And when I see some of you and other brothers and sisters go through, I just my heart just breaks for you. Because God wants to do so much more in you and through you. 
Think about that tough relationship. Think about the, the difficulties at work. Don't manage it. Access God. Be in prayer. Love as God has loved. Yes, take the smack if you need to take smack, but as you do it with, with humility in the Lord, rejoice. Yes, if you see our church and, our, and you say, wow, we have issues and problems in our church, of course we have issues and problems in our church. We have issues and problems everywhere. There's not one family here who doesn't have issues and problems. There's not one individual here who doesn't have issues and problems. So if you have issues and problems in your personal life, in your family life, in your work life, guess what? It's going to come to the church office as well. So access the throne of God, the power of God, and pray. Lord, only you can fix this. Lastly, and this is to encourage you to show you that these are sort of natural steps. Do you remember when someone first came to you for counseling? Perhaps someone in their family is sick. Perhaps someone just broken up. Perhaps they're going through a, a real time of depression. And you hear them and you get so nervous because you don't know what to say. And you get so nervous because all you want to do is fix the problem. And you, you just shake. You just, you just don't know what to do, but you're, 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 you're anxious about it. That stage is idealized love stage. That's the stage where you want everything to be the way it should be. For many of us here, that's, that's like, like your late, late teens, early 20s. Idealized love stage. Do you remember the next time, though, when you got a little older, someone comes to you for counseling? Perhaps you're seeing a bunch of peers. You're seeing a lot more divorce. You're like, I can't believe I, even our generation is getting divorced. I thought our generation would be that generation that changed. Perhaps you're finally in the midst of your work phase, and you're like, I can't believe that work. I thought work would be so much better, but work is just drudgery. It really is. And you get into that disappointed love stage where you're just cynical about anything and everything. And then when someone comes to you for advice, yeah, I'm having problems with this and that, and you go, yeah, you know, life stinks. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. And it's just horrible, you know, just, what can we do? Just like this. So get a drink, get a drink. It's a disappointed love stage. That's like, again, like mid-twenties. <laughs> but we need to get to the covenantal love stage. Where we see the brokenness in everyone and in ourselves. And in the midst of that, as Christ has loved us the same way, we listen with empathy and sympathy. We weep with them because we know that that's not the way the world should be. But then we share the, the hope of Christ in a winsome manner. Because we know that only Christ can give us hope. 
when we've had that mix in our hearts of sorrow and joy. Because that mix of sorrow and joy in Christ is the definition of hope. God loves us. And I pray for all of us. As God's covenant love washes over you, and you apply the gospel to your own lives, you realize that God has saved you as a sinner. You realize that in this lifetime, you're not going to be perfect. But you don't get too pessimistic. You don't get too, too down on yourself. But you hold on to the cross. That that joy in God, that hope, would pour out and spill over into all your relationships, into all your circles. And may God use you to further his kingdom. And may God give us all that joy in Save us from ourselves. Save us. <coughs> Please, we ask of you. We are people who are easily swayed by the counsels of this world. We are a people, Lord, who forget too quickly how much we are loved by you. We are people who, who run away from suffering for you. good at managing our lives. We're good at managing our Christian lives as well. But we need you. So Lord, help us. Be present in our lives. And grow us, Lord, in that unconditional covenantal love that you have given to us. In Christ's name.